Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Bedfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BedfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. And on this podcast, we explore questions that people have been debating for ages. Questions about music and life. We're songwriters, musicians, music fans. And in the 25 years we've been friends, we've been practitioners of the unanswerable. But today, we'll delve into a new question and we'll talk to some smart people and we'll come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is What song has aged the worst? That's the age-old question. In the last episode, we asked, how do you write a hit song? And part of the special sauce is a writer and a performer's ability to capture the zeitgeist of that particular moment. In other words, sometimes a hit fits perfectly into that moment. But sometimes, when that moment fades away, so too does the magic of the song. Some songs are timeless, but some songs become relics. They just don't age well. Hmm. It's sort of like a shag carpet or fur coats or asbestos. Like it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> mullets. <laughs> or mullets. <laughs> now they just seem so old fashioned. We're talking about misogyny, sexism, Inappropriate or illegal relations between two people yes. is one. Yep. Racism, intolerance, stereotyping. So are we saying that the songs that we're talking about are bad and shouldn't be listened to today? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And I'm guessing that a bunch of the songs we're going to mention today, we actually still love in some way. They wouldn't be written in 2021. Right. It leaves you with a funny taste. Yeah. It just leaves you with like a, ooh. Right. Yeah. All right, Clint, start us off. Okay. Here's one. I love this song. In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry. Do you remember this song? No. Mungo Jerry was a British rock band. It's like a song that celebrates the summer carefree days. And in 1970, it reached number one in the charts around the world including seven weeks on the UK singles chart. And it becomes one of the best-selling singles of all time, eventually selling 30 million copies. Wow. In the summertime when the weather is high, you can stretch right up and touch the sky. When the weather's fine, you got women, you got women on your mind. But then... Who's it by? Mungo Jerry. Mungo Jerry? Yes. But then it's got this line, have a drink, have a drive, go out and see what you can find. Have a drink. If her daddy's rich, take her out for a meal. If her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. If her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. Speed along the lane, you can turn or return at 25. I get what he's saying. I don't think he means do whatever you want to the poor girls. That's not what he's saying, but that's oh. what it says. Oh, I see. You think he means like, I don't know. Don't worry about like the class thing or the money thing. Like follow yes, your heart. Sure. But because it sort of sounds like it's, he's, if she's poor, then do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. <laughs> and the other part, have a drink, have a drive. Right. That was just a thing back then. Right. Like the legal limit was different. Right. So just have a pop, go right. out. It would never be acceptable today. To, to use the words drink and drive in right. the same phrase. Right, unless it's hip-hop, maybe. 
But even, but then, even then, they would get flack for it. Yeah. Interesting note, Shaggy covered the song. Yep. Did what he, he did, did he, change the he changed the lyrics. Says, So yeah, he changes the lyrics just to make it fit. So there's a first example of a, a song that, that hasn't aged well. What do you got, Richie? One of the great guitar riffs in rock history. One, two, three. Turn it up. home alabama i just love the way this song sounds but can we listen to this song in 2021 without hearing it as a song that somehow celebrates white heritage and southern confederate pride here's how the song started ronnie van sant the band's frontman, was a fan of neil young the whole band was apparently and on his 1970 album after the gold rush Neil Young had a song called Southern Man. It's a song that calls out the white South for being built on the backs of slaves and the shocking hypocrisy of Christians who could accept the subjugation of another race of people. Southern man better keep your head. The song mentions cross burnings, tall white mansions. It's a song about reparations in a sense. The guys in Leonard Skinnerd heard the song and according to Ronnie Van Sant thought Neil was shooting all the ducks in order to kill one. I just love that he used that <laughs> phrase to say, hey man, don't you know paint us all with the same brush. He's like, don't shoot all, shoot the, all the ducks. <laughs> he used a duck hunting reference. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the song started when Gary Rosington came up with that riff. Dun, dun, oh, man. Most classic guitar thing of all time. So great. So good. And so simple. Yeah. Like, as a, as a new guitar right. player, you can play that right. riff pretty easily. Yeah. Ronnie heard it and asked him to keep playing it over and over. What's interesting is that none of the three writers of the song are from Alabama. Rosington and Van Zant were from Jacksonville, Florida. Ed King, the other writer, was from Glendale, California. But don't you now think of Leonard Skinner? Leonard home, Skinner. Home. Right. Yeah. The song goes, Well, I heard Mr. Young sing about her. Hope Neil Young will remember. A Southern man don't need him around anyhow. Now, Van Zant has said that the song was really about taking issue with Neil Young's broad swipe at all Southerners. He references the governor of Alabama, George Wallace, who famously said, Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. A speech he made when he was inaugurated as governor of Alabama. The song says, In other words, according to Van Zant, the North was capable of moral transgressions, and he doesn't hold the North accountable for Nixon's crimes. Anyway, Neil Young, for his part, loved Sweet Home Alabama. He said it was a great rock riff, and they played it like they meant it. He also regretted his own song that started it all. He said, I don't like my words when I listen to it today. They are accusatory and condescending, not fully thought out, and too easy to misconstrue. Ronnie Van Zant continued to love Neil Young's music. On October 20th, 1977, a plane carrying the band ran out of fuel 
outside of Gillsburg, Mississippi. The plane crashed into some trees, killing Ronnie Van Zant instantly, along with half the band and crew. He was 29 years old. So how do we consider a song that has been somehow co-opted or has come to mean something that maybe, maybe it wasn't? It's an incredible song in that it's played at every feel-good event, every graduation party, every wedding. It's on one hand, this amazingly controversial thing. Right. And yet it's been so watered down by the general public that no one even considers those lyrics anymore. I mean, even now listening to it, I've played the song a bunch. Right. But when you read the lyrics, right, it's a totally different. That's an. It's such an interest. This week is so interesting because it's really making me look at these songs differently. Because pop music, when you listen to a song on the radio, ninety percent of the people, ninety-five percent of the people, aren't hearing. The lyrics. the lyrics it's all the melody and it's singable and this that and the other and then maybe the fifth tenth time you hear the song you might start to get it but like right. a song like sweet home alabama is so popular and everywhere and all the time it's like one of these songs that's played all the time in fact kid rock did that uh warren zevon sweet home alabama mashup a couple years ago right. which is maybe my least favorite song of all time so it's bad i mean he brought it back into the and you know it's interesting what you were saying Last week on the episode about how to write a hit song um, about the Swedish songwriters and that they're less focused on the meaning of the words and more interested in the sound of the words. Right. Sweet Home Alabama has a great percussive yeah. flow to it. Yes. It's very pleasing. It is. And so is the riff. And so, and so together. And it's Sweet Home Alabama, Sweet Home where the skies are so blue. Like the chorus is very Simple. nondescript, right. just sing-alongable. Yeah. So, okay, that is a good one. That's high in the running for songs that have aged the worst. What do you got? All right. My next one is a little number by George Michael called Father Figure. This was a song on his debut studio album from 1987 called Faith. It was the fourth single, and it was, uh, you know, it was... a massive hit it went to number one but when you go back and listen to these lyrics it's uh it's kind of strange so here's i'm going to quote george michael here for a second yeah the initial concept was totally different from the way the song turned out in fact the initial concept for father figure was to make it a kind of mid-tempo rock dance track and what happened was i wanted to hear something in my mix so i happened to cut out the snare on the board and suddenly it changed the whole entire mood of the track. Suddenly it seemed really dreamy. And this was halfway through writing it because I was writing the song as I was going along in the studio. And I just thought, well, hey, this is actually much better. So I worked the rest of the feel of the track around this spacey type sound and it ended up in my mind being the most original sounding thing on the album. So there's an interesting concept, right? He's in the studio, it's supposed to be this one thing, takes out one instrument, all of a sudden it changes the, the whole, whole thing for him. The whole meaning. The whole meaning, everything. And so I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. Okay. All right. I will be your father figure. Put your tiny hand in mine. <laughs> I will be your preacher teacher. Anything you have in mind. I will be your father figure. I have had enough of crime. I will be the one who loves you till the end of time. I will be your Now that's right on the edge, right? I mean, it's basically about a young, right, a you, young you can, person. You can with interpret an old it person. in a way that is non-sexual. How do you do that? <laughs> can you? Can you? How do you? Can you do are that? You, you give so him like, like the benefit of the doubt. You, like, <laughs> I'm trying. I like George Michael, so I guess it could mean that he's just going to be her mentor or his mentor. Yeah, like. Okay, but here's the next line. Okay. <laughs> That's all I wanted. 
but sometimes love can be mistaken for a crime. Oh, it's just that went south, right? Went south real quick. This was number one. This was a number one song. So how at the time did people not be skeeved out by it? Right. Let's listen to it. Okay. And listen to the way he's singing it. If he's not talking about sex, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, be bold and naked at your side. <laughs> there's really no, there's no, no misconstruing. No, there's no misconstruing <laughs> what he's on he's about. He's saying what he's meaning. And he's doing it like this. And he's really whispering. I put your tiny hand in my <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, my God. Number one. Now, here's another factor in this entire yeah. week's episode. Yeah. Remember when... George Michael got arrested for lewd behavior. Yes. How, like, how much does what happens to an artist? We talk about this almost in every episode. How much does what happens in an artist's life affect how you listen to their music? Right. The fact that he's caught doing a lewd sexual act in a bathroom by an undercover policeman, that's in my head. Right. And so now I hear him talking about putting your tiny hand in mine and right. love Before is that, a crime. He was just George Michael from sure. that cute band Wham. Right. See what I'm saying? Like he, the fact that he got arrested for this sexual act makes me go back in his catalog and be like, mm, I don't know, George. Right. So father figures up there for me. That's a good one. And incredibly creepy. <laughs> We've made it clear on this podcast that our favorite band is, the Beatles. The Beatles. Not even close, right? No. But even the Beatles had some lyrics that, hearing them in 2021, it makes you scratch your head. Consider this one, Clint, from Rubber Soul. Run for your life. Written primarily by John Lennon. He actually said it was his worst song. He stole that lyric from an early Elvis Presley song called Baby Let's Play House. Let's listen. Listen to me, baby. Try to understand. I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. Wow. Lifted it. That's plagiarism. plagiarism. (laughs) Straight up. All right. But it wasn't just John. Paul had some lyrics that made you wonder. Here's one of my favorite <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld bits. Performing in the East Room of the White House the night Paul McCartney received the Gershwin Award. Let's listen. Sir Paul, you have written some of the most beautiful music ever heard by humans in this world. It's my favorite music that I've ever heard in my life. I love you for it. And yet, some of the lyrics and some of the songs, as they go by you, can make one unsure, even concerned sometimes about what exactly is happening in this song. (laughs) Songs such as, I saw her standing there, and I quote, she was just 17, you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm not sure I do know what you mean, Sir Paul. I think I know what you mean. Getting better from Sergeant Pepper, again, quoting, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. Nice. (laughs) Same woman by any chance? I just love that. And yet, I love those songs. Still do. Yeah. Nothing can change that. No. I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. I was mean, but I'm changing my scene, and I'm doing the best that I can. I admit it's getting better. It's a little better. If the Beatles dipped their toe in the water of misogyny, the Stones jumped in. And swam around. (laughs) 
I'm just going to rifle through a couple examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown sugar. This is wrong on all kinds of levels. <laughs> this is a, a Jagger Richards song, primarily written by Mick Jagger. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Brown sugar, just like a young girl should. Also about slavery it's just tough on multiple levels you couldn't get away with that now on any on any level on any one of those yeah. levels yeah. under my thumb that's a big one right Ooh, talk about a misogynistic song that's like a crusher Still listen to those songs. Some girls, have you heard, listened to that recently? Uh, uh-uh, uh, it's been a minute. Any verse you can pick, any verse, and it's pretty bad. But let's just let's just randomly pick this one. White girls are pretty funny. Racism, uh, cultural insensitivity. I mean, stereotyping. I mean, that is so that was what 74, 70, 78, 78. I mean, that was fairly late, right? In the game. I mean, were they trying to push the envelope? Were they trying to rile people up? What was his point there? Like, why was it interpreted as Mick? Being a character of like, uh, did people just say, oh, he's just being that type of person, that type of person, uh, like he's playing a character, playing a role. And yet we could sit here and do probably five, six, seven songs of that same character. All of a sudden that character starts becoming the guy. Yeah. So, and it worked at the time. They were huge hits. All these songs that we're talking about at the time of their release were hits, were hits, number ones, like massive hits. And our culture has become much more sensitive and politically correct. Yes. Obviously, that's the point of this whole episode. But there was none of that before. <laughs> like, All right, I got another one. Yeah. And on. this is an interesting one. This is a Christmas song, or it became a Christmas song. Technically, it never mentions Christmas in the entire song. But song is Baby, It's Cold Outside. Mm. And this was written by Frank, is it Losser? L-O-E-S-S-E-R? Loser? Losser? Loser? Loser? Loser. Loser? I Loser. hardly knew her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Frank Loser in 1944 and introduced to the public in the 1949 film Neptune's Daughter. Been covered so many times, and I'm going to get into that in a second, by literally every artist ever from 1949 till now. You know how this was written? No. Okay. So during the 40s, whenever Hollywood celebrities with like vocal talents attended parties, they were expected to perform songs. Loser wrote Baby It's Cold Outside to sing with his wife, Lynn Garland, at their housewarming party in New York City. Hey, baby, where you going? I really can't But stay. baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go but away. But baby, it's cold outside. This evening has so been happy that you dropped so in. very nice. I'll hold your hands. They're just like My ice. mother will start to but worry. Beautiful, what's your they sang the song, and all of a sudden, it becomes like the biggest hit for that social scene. They become parlor room stars. Lynn Garland says... We got invited to all the best parties for years on the basis of baby. It was our ticket to caviar and truffles. Parties were built around our being the closing act. Amazing. So in 1948, after years of performing the song, Loser sold it to MGM for the Neptune's Daughter movie. The song won the 1949 Academy Award for Best Original Song. You know, on second thought. Yes? 
I really can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go but away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been hoping that you drop so in. very nice. I'll hold your hands. They're just like ice. My mouth will start to work. Can we just talk about the plot of the song? A couple is is wrapping up their evening together. Mm-hmm. She says, "Well, I guess I better be going." Yep. He says, "No, no, no, stay." She says, uh, "No, I gotta go." He's like, "It's cold outside." Yeah. He says, "How about one more drink?" She says, "Oh gosh, what's in this drink?" <laughs> and he says, "No, no, no, it's cool." <laughs> and then she says, "But the neighbors are gonna talk. I, my reputation's at stake." He says, "No, no, baby, it's it's cool. Baby, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cold outside. <laughs> you don't." <laughs> Hey, it's gonna be fine. Look over here. <laughs> Look over here. Uh, it's it, it's incredibly rapey. Quite rapey. And yet, I want to suggest one thing. Okay. When I heard this song sung by Zoe Deschanel and Will Ferrell in Elf, mm-hmm. the neighbors might think, say, "What's in this drink?" I wish I knew how. And when I heard it sung by you and your wife, aha. Uh-huh. Simply must go. Baby, it's cold outside. The answer is no. Baby, it's cold outside. This welcome has been I'm lucky that you dropped so nice in. I don't hear it that way. Right. So it's context. Yes, because it clearly wasn't written that way. The Frank's daughter, Susan Loser, the daughter, blames the song's negative connotation on its association with Bill Cosby after television programs such as Saturday Night Live and South Park depicted the song being performed by the comedian who had been accused of sexually assaulting several women. Right. And he was drugging them their drinks. Yes. 2018, the airing of the song was canceled by a number of radio stations due to political correctness and the Me Too movement. Following the controversy around 2018, the song rose to the top 10 of Billboard's digital sales list for the week of December 22nd, 2018, with a 70% increase in downloads. But listen to this. So yeah. I have pulled up every version of this song from 1951 on yeah louis armstrong baby it's cold outside sammy davis jr i'll hold your hands they're just like dean martin ray charles barry manilow tom jones Brian Setzer, Leanne Womack, Zoe Deschanel, Jessica Simpson, Rod Stewart, James Taylor, Ann Murray, Willie Nelson, Rick Dempsey, Rufus Wainwright, CeeLo Green, Lyle Lovett. And I'm not even halfway done. It's like every single pop artist has done a version of this song. And yet, it's like the rapiest song. But I I don't see it that way either. That's what I mean. When I heard your version, the version you and Lauren did, first of all, it's great. Second of all, it's sweet. That's the way... They meant it too. But it has, again, talking about Sweet Home Alabama as a song that's maybe being co-opted. You're right. This has been co-opted by the Me Too movement, maybe. All right, let's stay with Christmas. I have two nominees in the Christmas genre. The first is I Saw Mommy Kissing (laughs) Santa Claus. (laughs) And I'm going to use the version by the Jackson 5. look i get it i know the joke in the song but when you think about it it's pretty messed up like the psychological torture of a small kid who's like i just saw mommy kissing santa claus (laughs) he grows up with some daddy issues anyway the bigger song that i want to talk about has to be one of the most culturally insensitive songs ever to become a massive hit do they know it's christmas before there is we are the world there was this song, written by Bob Geldof and Mitch Ure, in response to the shocking TV reports of devastating famine in Ethiopia. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. It was recorded November 25th, 1984, by what they called the supergroup Band-Aid, 
the biggest British and Irish acts of the time, including Sting, Bono, Phil Collins, Simon Le Bon of Duran Duran, Boy George. George Michael. The song was a massive success, raised 8 million pounds within the first year, and ultimately the song has raised more than $25 million. So on the one hand, the song should be remembered as an era-defining start of the supergroup charity song. And this track obviously inspired Lionel and Michael on We Are The World, so even more impact that way. But the song is, Do They Know It's Christmas? Do they know it's Christmas time No, they don't, they don't celebrate Christmas. They don't know it's Christmas. There's a line, there'll be no snow in Africa this Christmas. And Bono says, I cringe every December this song comes on the radio. Huh. But it's a song that has nothing to do with music. It's all about generating money huh. for a good cause. By that measure, the song is an unqualified classic. And they wrote it for Western culture. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's there's Feed no... Feed the world. Let them know it's Christmas time. <laughs> they don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> right, no one... You imagine like the engineer and the, pressing the button. Uh... Bob, uh, just to point out, I don't hate to be a uh, Debbie Downer, but I don't think they celebrate Christmas in Sh- Ethiopia. Shut up. <laughs> wow, I, I didn't even know. I, I've never thought about that. I just, it wafts over you at Christmas time like a warm blanket. And you're like cozy in that song. And you hear Sting's voice. Yeah, you hear Bonnie. You hear... You're like, oh, these people. Giving of their time. And money. I mean, they, money. They, they raised money. Yeah. Should we call Jeff Simons? Oh, he's going to have, <laughs> he's going to make a meal out of this thing. Let's call him. Hey. Jeff. Hello, sir. Hey, buddy. You're on with me and Clint. What's up, Jeff? The best part of any week. How are you, buddy? Awesome, man. This is going to be a good one. What are the songs that have aged the worst? (laughs) That's so good. Before we get into that, (laughs) we want to give you an opportunity to tell us how we got it so wrong (laughs) two weeks weeks ago. (laughs) Who went solo solo the best? best? I just want to make sure I got clear your final. You said Eric Clapton, Rich. Clint said uh, JT. I came over the top, yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I mean... I can't believe you're going to say anything nice about Eric Clapton after that song he did with Van Morrison about quarantine. Stand and deliver. You let him put the fear on you. Which is like such a crime against humanity. It almost undoes all his previous good work. It is 50 years of good work. I mean, that song is so unbelievably bad. Do you know that Van Morrison's new record is called Next Album Project Volume 1? I mean, the, I, that's so lazy. I, I can't believe how out of ideas that guy is. And Eric is just strumming along in the background like, hey, all right. I also like I like some of Clapton's solo material. I, I do like I actually um, I really like Let It Rain. I really like After Midnight. Um, there's songs on 461 Ocean Boulevard I like. But I mean, there's some real howlers. Like, he has some really bad records like Promises is a really fair backlist. Whatever that record's called is really bad. Um, his 80s and I mean you know you know how I feel about Tears in Heaven which is just like <laughs> so I, that was a that was a tough call I mean I think Derek and the Dominoes Layla is one of the all time great records and then um, and then he's on a precipitous like, <laughs> downwards line this is so bad I saw Eric Clapton live in 1988 and 1989 and it was so boring I fell asleep for almost 30 minutes like in my seat at the show he started playing Tearing Us Apart, and I woke up in Wonderful Tonight and kind of looked around. It's like, I think I and – and Ben was with me, and he's like, dude, you've been asleep for like three songs. I'm like, I, st- I stand by my choice. Let's transition to this <laughs> week's right. topic, which is what, what songs have aged the worst? 
Um, okay, so I can't decide. I have my answer is easily the worst song that used to be considered a good song, but I also have a. Um, I might also <laughs> share a hotter take just because it'll piss people off more, which is fun. Okay. But the the worst song that people used to accidentally think was a good song is Iron Butterflies in Agata De Vida, which was a top five hit, and when we were kids was spoken of in reverent tones as an early proto-metal masterpiece that like combined hard and psychedelic rock and paved the way for Deep Purple. And I don't know if you've listened to Inagata De Vida lately, but it is the most like clodding, worthless. First of all, 17 and a half minutes long. It's a whole side. And those guys suck. They could barely play. Like, they sound like a band playing live for the first time. Like, you know, when, <laughs> like, the first time you get on stage, and you get that, like, hot sweat, and it's all really exciting, and you get off, like, I think we were pretty good. I think that was pretty good. And then you hear it back, you're like, oh, boy. That's what that whole record sounds like. Oh, won't you come with me? I'll take my when I When I was a kid, like... You, when they would do those, like, top 500 of all time. Like, Inagata Davida was, like, in the top 100. Like, with that crappy-sounding organ and the stupid, <laughs> like, in the Garden of Eden. Like, it's just... We've talked about that song, actually, on this podcast. You have. Be- because, not on this episode, but in a previous episode, when we were talking about Ringo. And Ringo actually yeah. steals the idea for the drum solo in the end from the somewhere in the middle of that 17 minutes. <laughs> Is that right? Well, he picked the the best eleven seconds of that song and made a famous that. So that's my that's my kind of layup, stupid old hit. But I was gonna say that the band that has aged the worst for me is The Doors, and I'm gonna stick with a song called "When the Music's Over," which is twelve and a half minutes. The first record, The Doors, is. It's pretty, I mean, it's a classic. Like, even if it's, if you think it's silly now, I mean, it's got Break On Through and Light My Fire, and it ends with the end, that, like, 12-minute thing that was in Apocalypse Now. This is the end, my only friend, the end. Their second record is called Strange Ways, and they literally were like, well, we should just remake the first record. It starts with, like, a two-minute hit single, and then it has a bunch of crappy songs, and then the last song is this attempt to remake the end like a big epic track and i think it is so funny that the doors recorded a terrible song called when the music's over when the song never ends <laughs> like it's a 13 minute song called when the music's over it's like you gotta be kidding me right yeah, come on. it's like it's like a song called endless highway that sucks you know <laughs> So I think, um, but I think the Doors gets like they sound sillier and sillier to me the older I get. Huh. Like they just they just aren't spooky anymore, and all the Lizard King stuff. And and I really love like a dozen Doors songs. Like there's still material of theirs that I adore. But when Jim is trying to do his like leather pants shaman thing, I just think it's I think it really sounds silly. Love it. That's I tend to agree with you about the Doors. Actually, I love the Doors, but it is, it's a it's a teenagers game for sure i still listen to it every once in a while but i was way into it in my youth yeah exactly yeah like i mean i bought the doors greatest hits when i was like 12 and i was like whoa this this is dark oh jeez you know deep into the subconscious and and now i'm kind of like yeah yeah he was just stoned (laughs) (laughs) um what are your choices what do you guys what did you pick sweet home alabama yeah, that's a great choice. If you disassociate yourself <laughs> from the song and the lyrics and the band and the Confederate flag, it's a great song. Yeah, you know, the problem with Sweet Home Alabama is that the people who like it now like it way too much for all the wrong reasons. Right. That's you know exactly what I mean? Like right. the company you keep when Sweet Home Alabama comes on and like 20 dudes are like, yeah, like that. You're right. That's like. It's been co-opted in a way. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's perfectly said. That's a great choice. Well, thanks, buddy. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, Literally anytime. I pretty much just sit around now and wait for you guys to call me. That's my <laughs> That's life. Awesome. So. See you, buddy. See you, Jeff. Right, take care. Bye. He 
never disappoints. Never. Thank you, Jeff. All right, I got another one. Some more misogynistic tunes. Okay. My first one is Hey Joe. You know, Hey Joe, where are you going with that gun in your hand? I'm going to shoot my old lady. <laughs> you know, I caught her messing around with another man. <laughs> oh, okay. See ya. Have a So this song is just a classic song. One, I think, because it's all the open chords of the guitar. It's the first song I ever learned how to play it's on the guitar. the first song I learned as well. And C, that's C, G, D, A, E. And then it's got that single note line. So just like we were saying with Sweet Home Alabama, you can learn this song pretty Pretty quickly, yep. For that reason, it's been covered a gajillion times. Right. The guy who wrote it, uh, registered by Billy Roberts in 1962, literally every band covered it in the 60s. The Leaves, the Standells, the Surfaris, Love, the psychedelic rock band, the Birds. The Birds. I've the never birds, heard the Birds yeah. version. Tim Rose did a version, a slower version, and this is what they say inspired Jimi Hendrix to do his version. So the Jimi Hendrix Experience released, it was their first single, and it peaked at six in the UK, but it failed to chart in the US. Hmm. Interesting note about Hey Joe, it was the last song played at Hendrix's Woodstock performance, which means it was the last song played at Woodstock. It was like Monday morning, I feel like. They made him do an encore and he did Hey Joe. Interesting. Another fascinating fact of this song. In May of 2006, 1,572 guitarists played Hey Joe simultaneously in the town square of this city in Poland. 1,500 people. They kept doing it. And so by May 1st, 2012, 7,273 guitarists turned out to this city in Poland to play Hey Joe all together. Which is just awesome. Incredible. Right? Especially when you think about the lyrical content of the song. This was a massive song that 7,200 people got together to play to break the world, the Guinness Book of World Records. This is a homicidal... A homicidal, misogynistic anthem. Right. How did that happen? Because they were in Poland. They weren't focused on the meaning of the song. It was. You're right. Some honorary mentions? Yep. Don't Stand So Close to Me by the Police, mm. about a teacher and a student who have an inappropriate relationship. And I don't know if that was ever culturally accepted. Like, even Sting's not accepting this as an okay thing. I think it's always been a bad idea. But... The character in the song is agonizing right. about this. Yes. Because he knows it's wrong. Right. You know, and he's saying, don't stand so close to me. He's saying, don't stand so close to me. Right. Young teacher, the subject of school girl fantasy. She wants him so badly, knows what she wants to be. Inside her, there's longing. This girl's an open page. Bookmarking, she's so close now. This girl is half his age. That idea less taboo back then, this idea of a teacher and a student. I think it was not necessarily in that song, but in a song like Hot for Teacher. You know, Hot for Teacher is from a student's point of view. 
but don't stand so close to me. That's why that song is creepy because the the teacher is considering it. And actually, the instrumentation of that song is creepy. Mm-hmm. It's dark synth tones. Yeah. Which is like building this whole mood that you yeah. yeah. So then he knew what he was doing. Wet bus stop. Yep. Yeah, she's yeah. waiting. His yeah. car is warm and dry. Yeah, yeah. Wet bus stop. She's waiting. His car is warm and dry. And the, the Nabokov. Yeah. Rhyme. Yeah, like yeah. The, it's like that man in the old, old book, book by, by Nabokov. But turns to cough. Good rhyme, and only Sting can pull can off pull that off. Yeah, right. Referencing Nabokov. Here's another honorary mention. Let's talk about Queen for a second. Oh yeah, I got this one too. Freddie Mercury was a strange guy. I want to ride my bicycle. I mean, that's just like weird. Like, why would you write a song and it, like a hit song? Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. bicycle. I want to talk about fat bottom girls. Fat bottom girls, you make the rockin' world go round. Oh, you gonna take me home tonight. Oh, down beside that red firelight. Oh, you gonna let it all hang out. Fat bottom girls, you make the rockin' world go round. But that's not the part I'm talking about. <laughs> by the way, the song was written by Brian May the guitarist the opening verse i was just a skinny lad never knew no good from bad but left alone with big fat fanny she was such a naughty nanny <laughs> keep big woman you made a bad boy out of me wow i was just a skinny lad never knew no good from bad but i knew life before So Fanny, his nanny, has sexual relations with this kid. The track was released as a double A-side with Bicycle Race on October 1978. The chorus is great. It's great. Three-part harmony, just huge, anthemic. And I remember yes. Stephen Kellogg and the Sixers doing a great version of this I song. I remember that too. In the live set. You remember that? Yes. Michael McKean from Spinal Tap yeah. claims that Fat Bottom Girls was the influence for the song Big Bottom. <laughs> you remember that song, I right? Do. Three basses. They, they're all playing bass. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about mud flaps. My girls got them. <laughs> That song, Big Bottoms, Age Poorly, I don't think so don't because think so. it's a perfect parody of the type of rock misogyny and objectification right. that we're talking about. Right. It was in no way misogynistic. It was making fun of the misogyny. Right. One song I did want to mention real quickly, Kung Fu Fighting, which we talked about. Well, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, that... Have you heard the song? <laughs> but there's some... It's, it's packed the, with some stereotypes. There's some stereotypes. And the riff... That's... Is that hook? What is that thing? Is that from this song? That's my question. Or is it like a classic, classic Chinese folk anthem? anthem right. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Oh, I that. I don't know. In that song. All right, give me one more. Short people. By Randy Newman. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason to live. Randy Newman wrote this song with his tongue firmly in his cheek. 
Glenn Fry, interestingly, sings the bridge in the song. Whoa. But could a song, even written with the intention of lampooning prejudice, be released today? The song became a big hit for Randy Newman. It was a novelty song, but it went all the way to number two in the charts. In 1978, the state of Maryland considered a bill that would have made playing this song illegal on the radio. Wow. He said, I had no idea that there was any sensitivity. I mean, that anyone could believe that anyone was as crazy as the character in that song. To have that kind of animus against short people and put it out in a song and actually have a philosophy about short people. <laughs> That's like, yeah, it's clearly tongue-in-cheek. It's clearly tongue-in-cheek. Clearly. So should we judge songwriters and even audiences from past decades by the moral and cultural standards of 2021? I don't think so. But if you can't get past the fact that some of these songs just haven't aged well. So, Rich, what song has aged the worst? It might be Father Figure. I'm going to agree with you. I don't think I'd feel comfortable singing the lyrics of Father Figure. It's certainly not the way he does. With all breathy. Breathy and, and sexy. Like, put your tiny hand in mine. That's all. That's just one moment to be bold and naked. I mean, he's basically saying it like, all right, so did we do it? We did it. We did it again. We did it again. George Michael. George Michael, father figure. Father figure. All right. Well, well, we hope that you had a lot of fun, as much fun as we did. And we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.